This is the Circulate Podcast, broadcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. More than half of the world's infrastructure has not yet been built. That was Elizabeth Yee of the Rockefeller Institute's 100 Resilient Cities. These guys know that cities around the world face a number of physical, social and economic challenges that are a growing part of the 21st century. Challenges such as inequality. And, and thinking about uh, where also um, there are a lot of trees in the city and where there aren't um, and potentially linking that back to um, the, in- the inequality agenda and, and making sure that everyone has adequate amounts of green space. How do cities prepare for all these challenges, unpredictable challenges, unprecedented challenges that are thrown their way? Elizabeth is going to talk about those in this podcast. My colleague Seb Reid recently caught up with Elizabeth and he first asked her what is meant by resilience in the context of cities. Resilience is really for us a a very um, broad and encompassing term. for, For a city, it really is this capacity to both manage through successfully and rebound following an unpredictable challenge um, or and man- managing through the everyday shocks and stresses of life. So um, understanding, for example, and, and managing to a place where uh, in the event there's an earthquake um, that a community can grow and thrive in, in uh, following that event or potentially um, managing through also the everyday challenges of life like traffic. Resilience really requires our cities to think um, holistically on a more integrated way, in an inclusive way, and to iterate on those resilience uh, challenges and solutions. And so that after you face these challenges or while you're facing these challenges, um, the stresses on an everyday basis, that you're thriving and continuing to grow um, as a city. And it's really looking to help our cities solve the multiple challenges that they have using the scarce resources that they have. I wanted to pick up on something you just said, um, Liz, around the idea of being ready for unpredictable challenges. And that sort of, there's a, I guess there's an underlying implication to this idea of um, looking for resilient cities that maybe cities haven't been designed with that intention in mind. I just wondered if you could say a couple of things about um, what makes uh, this issue so challenging for cities today. I think there are a number of reasons why resilience is challenging. Um, we're, we're facing these unprecedented threats that we never have before. Um, and those three uh, for being climate change, urbanization, and globalization. And those are affecting cities at a scale um, that, that we haven't seen. So for example, we've got people flooding into our cities because they see them as the source of economic opportunity and growth. Um, And that's cities haven't been equipped and designed for the masses of people that continue to uh, flock to them on a daily basis. We've got this challenge of globalization where we're more interconnected than we ever have been before thanks to technology and impacts that occur in one city um, directly impact in in other city, um, even though they may not be in geographic proximity to each other. And then we've got this continued uh, challenge of climate change. And and for better or worse, um, most of our visionary forefathers thought that building cities um, on waterfronts was a great place. And it it is a great place um, for commerce. But as a result of climate change and sea level rise, 
uh, we've got we our cities are facing challenges um, in that regard like they haven't before and they they were in some instances built to uh, manage those challenges so the impact and the confluence of those three areas make the urban resilience building challenge more imperative than it ever has been before but also uh, brings with it um, a new host of challenges yeah and i want to ask a little bit about your engagement with this work so obviously you're the vice president of city solutions at 100 resilient cities can you just tell us a little bit about that program and, and how it works with cities um, so 100 resilient cities was created by the rockefeller foundation to specifically focus on resilience building in 100 cities around the world um, we selected those cities from, from over 1100 different applications um, in three different rounds and they were all based on um, city feedback and engagement with the mayors or the senior leaders of the cities to understand and and uh, their capacity and willingness to engage in this resilience journey with them. Um, so we've picked 100 cities um, and we are working with them to help them become more resilient to these social and economic and physical challenges that they're continuing to face um, in the 21st century. And we do that really in four different ways. Um, we're, we're challenging those cities to build their resilience but in order to do that, it requires a senior leader in the city um, who is positioned to work across, transversally across the different city government um, areas, as well as with the citizens to understand what the city's resilience challenges are. Um, and that person that um, we work with the city to um, hire and integrate into their governmental structure is the chief resilience officer. The second piece um, that the chief resilience officer leads um, is a city resilience strategy. And that is an opportunity to understand and synthesize all of the different resilience challenges in the city, having had uh, worked with both the government, the nonprofit, the academic, the citizens of the city to understand what are those challenges um, that need to be addressed, uh, addressed in order to build a more resilient cities. The third piece of it um, is this platform of services to support the strategy implementation. Um, and that is the part of the organization uh, that my team and I are specifically responsible for building out and engaging with um, our cities around. So um, not only are we working with those different partners from the academic, nonprofit and private sector to identify those solutions, but we're also helping uh, guide our cities um, and work with them to implement those solutions and to use those tools and services to build more resilient cities. At the same time, we are also looking to inspire our member partners around uh, resilience and have them better understand the challenges that our cities are facing in the 21st century so that they can design and help develop the solutions that we need in order to build more resilient cities. Um, and then the fourth piece, which is critically important as well, is, is the network, um, the network of chief resilience officers, because we believe in what we've seen through our short time um, is that cities really don't have unique challenges. Many cities um, have shared challenges uh, and the solutions um, and ideas really need to scale if we're actually going to successfully address those challenges. Um, and so having a network of peers um, for the chief resilience officers who are all brand new in their roles, as well as for the network of partners uh, to collaborate and develop and design solutions um, is a critical way that we're actually gonna be able to scale our work um, through our 100 cities and beyond. That's really interesting. I wanted to pick up on something that you just said about the idea that actually cities don't have unique challenges, which is intuitively quite um, you know, surprising to someone like me who imagines that you know, the challenges that a city like Rio de Janeiro face would be 
dramatically different than something you'd face in New York. I just wonder if you could, you know, describe some of the common challenges or, or you know, the, the, the similarities that you found in cities. Sure, I'd be happy to. And Seb, um, you know, I, I, I had the same theory as you, and then I started working here at 100RC, and I actually realized how much um, there were shared journeys and similarities and challenges. And so I, I just wanted to hit a few of the trends that we're seeing across our cities and then just give you a couple of examples. So, um, for example, one of one of the key trends that we're seeing across our city network um, is inequality uh, and, you know, both between the haves and the have nots. Um, the set, one of the, uh, another key trend that we're seeing um, across many of our cities is also migration, um, both from political reasons, but also economic. Uh, and that is causing this in-migration, this urbanization that, that we haven't seen um, at this scale before. The third piece um, was around water. And I th one, of the, one of the things that we, we look at actually is our application data. And, and over half of our cities, um, more than half of our cities, have cited water as a key challenge that they think of um, as it relates to their resilience building. So both thinking about uh, not enough water um, or water when you don't want it. Um, and then the last piece is around infrastructure. Um, more than half of the world's infrastructure has not yet been built. Um, and, and that is a, a, a challenge and a concern for many of our cities as we think about how to design and, and what infrastructure we need in order to manage these growing cities that are um, also susceptible to climate change. So, so these key trends transcend all cities. Um, they are not limited to just one or two. Uh, for example, uh, our cities of uh, Melbourne, Boulder, and Durban are all thinking about biodiversity and thinking about um, how potentially urban forest and, and tree canopy can actually help build their resilience. Um, not just from a sort of aesthetic scale, but also thinking about um, reducing urban heat island, uh, about thinking about managing stormwater, and, and thinking about uh, where also um, there are a lot of trees in the city and where there aren't, um, and potentially linking that back to um, the, in the inequality agenda and, and making sure that everyone has adequate amounts of green space. Circulate is the source for the latest news and insight on the circular economy. Find out more at circulatenews.org. Thank you, Sarah. But let's go back to Elizabeth Yee. She's told us there are key trends that transcend all cities. Inequality, migration, urbanisation, water, infrastructure. So Seb asked her, how do they measure or judge resilience in cities? Sure, I'm happy to talk about, um, and the way that I kind of read that question is how do we measure resilience in mm. cities um, and, and what is the role of the chief resilience officer? So I'll, I'll answer both of those questions. Um, the first is uh, in conjunction with the Rockefeller Foundation um, in Europe, we uh, utilize the city resilience framework to help us understand what the key challenges are um, in cities. There are four, um, I guess, uh, drivers. There's leadership and strategy, health and well-being, economy and society, and infrastructure and environment. And those are kind of the three kind of integration of those uh, four key areas are uh, kind of the start of resilience building. And then looking beyond that um, into these sub-drivers uh, for each of them. So I think, Seven, you and I talked a, or shared a little bit around like economic development. And so, you know, looking specifically at the economy and society, thinking about how urban systems um, foster economic prosperity, think about social stability and justice, and pr promote um, cohesive communities 
those are key elements, for example, in the economy and society framework uh, relating, relating to the city resilience uh, framework. But not just looking at those in a silo, looking at, for example, how fostering economic prosperity actually integrates uh, across the diagram, across our, uh, our city resilience framework with ensuring long-term and integrated planning, because you can't have one without the other. And thinking about and using that city resilience framework to understand um, where the city is in terms of its resilience. Um, in terms of measurement, uh, we are actively working on, um, on, on uh, the city resilience index, um, which we are sharing uh, with several of our member cities to understand and measure what uh, resilience looks like in their community and what over time, um, how that resilience building grows and changes. Um, so that, that is currently um, something that's underway uh, that we're working with them on. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I mean, I, I uh, was thinking when you were talking about, you know, inequality, water, migration, infrastructure as the sort of four key challenges that um, cities of today face, I guess the things that your program is aiming to tackle. Um, it's, it seems to me it's somewhat political. And that's the politics of a city must play a significant role in how this plays out. How do you sort of manage that um, slightly tricky area, shall we say, when it comes to thinking about long-term and resilience, um, trying not to mention the US election? I was waiting for that question. <laughs> um, so we are very much, uh, you know, when we, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I mean, when we select a city, we very much work with the mayor and the senior leadership of the city to understand their commitment and willingness to build resilience in their cities. Because honestly, we're not giving them money we're actually asking them to change the way that they do work um, and, and build a more resilient city by working more transversally across their organization and with citizens um, in their communities. And so making sure that the senior leadership of the city is on board um, and ready for that challenge um, and excited to do it and, and to carry it forward. Um, and, and, and making sure as well that they nominate and integrate this chief resilience officer into their everyday working structure so that um, the chief resilience officer can help um, advance that resilience building work in the city. Um, for example, I think one of the, one of the interesting and, and great examples of how cities are truly integrating resilience into their everyday lives is, is actually an example from our city of New Orleans, um, where they have a, a resilience review committee um, look at the major capital expenditures that they're making and any projects that the city is doing to understand how this is actually contributing to the resilience building of the city. Um, and that is, you know, one way that senior leadership can help integrate and influence resilience into their communities. Right, and I suppose to move on to a, a, another, you know, one of those slightly uh, trickier subjects. I mean, your your background is in is in finance. Um, previously, mm -hmm. I wondered if you'd give us a perspective on the role of finance in shaping um, the future of cities. Um, often there are uh, budgets, which um, implies uh, constraints. And I just uh, wondered if you had any uh, insights or thoughts on that from from our, for our audience. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to chat about that. That's that's a place <laughs> that I I get very excited about talking. Um, you know, what we challenge our cities to do is we know that each city has very scarce resources, not just from a physical standpoint, but also financially. And so part of building resilience is understanding how to use that scarce dollar 
more effectively to solve multiple challenges at once. Um, so as opposed to just building a road, thinking about how that road actually, um, and ensuring that road doesn't bisect a community, but ensuring that road also is connect, both connecting communities, what does it mean for economic development? Is there an opportunity to actually you know, lay fiber optic cable? A number of our cities have suggested that uh, narrowing that digital divide um, is a critical piece. So how can we look at um, the investment in just just a road to, to address some of the challenges. Can it can it be permeable pavement so that we actually reduce some of the stormwater challenges that a city might be facing? So really trying to optimize the use and implementation of a specific project so that we can make that dollar go further. Um, at the moment, we've also created um, a, something called the 10% pledge, um, which many of our cities, I think uh, about 28 or 29 cities have signed on to um, this 10% resilience challenge where they, the mayor um, has committed that 10% of their annual budget will be dedicated to resilience building projects. So we see money moving towards uh, resilience projects. Um, and also thinking about uh, as well, um, which is a project that we're working on here at 100RC, how do we get the financial community, um, institutional investors, philanthropic investors, really thinking about how to, to uh, better quantify and understand the value of resilience um, from both a credit perspective um, as well as a repayment um, perspective, because there are significant benefits um, from doing projects in a more resilient way. Uh, it you know, could potentially improve uh, a city's creditworthiness um, because, for example, uh, you know, you might be a, a, it might be a city that's very susceptible to sea level rise. Um, but if if that city, for a city, for example, uh, better integrated uh, parks um, and uh, looked at potentially some biodiversity solutions and other ways as opposed to just potentially building a seawall, um, looking at all of these other different ways that a city can actually uh, address some of the stormwater challenges or flooding challenges that it may face. Um, by integrating the community, by providing more access to people, by connecting communities, that in turn could have the impact of increasing economic development along a waterfront, which in turn increases revenue, which in turn increases the city's budget, which then ultimately accrues uh, positively to a city's credit profile. So thinking about um, all these different aspects of resilience and how it very much integrates um, with finance and getting these projects done uh, is critical. So here's the thing, Elizabeth Yee was speaking to us during the 2016 Disruptive Innovation Festival, an online festival looking at the changing state of the economy. You can find out more about the festival at thinkdiff.co, but for now you should know that this interview was originally broadcast as a video. I'm just warning you in case Elizabeth makes any reference to things the viewer might be able to see. So don't disappear just yet, Elizabeth has success stories to drop on us and keep listening to find out why Elizabeth thinks cities are the key to the future. But um, Liz, let me ask you this question. I think it's sort of a question that, that where they're wanting to bring this to life a bit. I understand that it's a relatively new programme and things don't necessarily move really quickly when it comes to you know massive cities 
Um, but they've asked, have you got any examples or case studies of a city that you've started working with where you've seen um, you know, some real progress or um, movement towards being you know, a more resilient city in some way? Are you at that stage yet? Yeah, you're, you're right. At the, at the moment, um, we are still re reasonably new in our process. Um, we've released about 20 different resilience strategies that are all available on our website so people can, can check them out. Um, and, and so I, I feel like it's somewhat unfair for me to pick just one city uh, as an exemplar of how they've really advanced um, their resilience journey. I, I, perhaps I could just take a, a smattering um, of different cities that uh, we believe or I believe personally that have done a great job um, of, of integrating resilience and continuing to advance it. Um, one, I think I, I mentioned, for example, New Orleans and, and using that resilience lens with which, um, with which to evaluate projects. Um, I think the, the other examples that, that are really exciting for us to see um, are, are the institutionalization of our chief resilience officers across our network. Um, and thinking about, for example, in, in Da Nang, Vietnam, where I just was a couple of weeks ago, seeing that um, you know, there's a huge commitment to resilience that this chief resilience officer will continue in their role and continue advancing the resilience strategy and initiatives that Da Nang in Vietnam has um, identified as, as uh, key things that they need to focus on to build more resilient cities. Great, thanks for that uh, um, response. I wanted to get your viewpoint on how the work of resilient cities sort of overlaps with other trends um, that we're seeing around cities. So um, a theme at the diff and a term that's becoming a bit more common is this idea of regenerative cities. Um, there's a initiative that the Ellen McCarr Foundation has launched called Circular Cities, focused on circular economy. How do you see um, resilience playing into those factors, um, if at all? You know, I, I, I see it a lot. Um, and, you know, the circular economy in particular is something that we've had several of our chief resilience officers really think about. Um, in particular, I know Pittsburgh uh, has been one that's been thinking very much about the circular economy and how, um, how to integrate that into their resilience building efforts. So, um, you know, I, for example, just thinking more uh, myopically, if you will, about the circular economy, uh, one of the challenges that we're trying to work through um, in our city of Amman and Jordan is waste. And thinking, using that lens of, okay, here are the waste challenges in Amman. How do we manage through them? What is the infrastructure we need to build? What is the opportunity potentially to create a circular economy around waste? Um, and that's in, in its very early infancy, and, and but it, it's something that I think we need to think about uh, as, a, as an element of resilience building in our cities. I think this sort of harks back a little bit to some of the things we were discussing earlier. Um, and it's a question that says, how do you get buy-in from governments and cities that are particularly resistant to certain ideas? And the example in this question was, uh, was actually climate change. So um, I'm not, I'm, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on the, some of those challenges. You know, I, I think it's I think it's really an interesting one, and it's a very fair point. Um, and and to me, there's kind of two stories that I'd like to tell. Um, you know, one of them I think is is uh, you know alignment with the national government. Um, and I know, for example, I spent a lot of time uh, with the city of Sydney. Um, maybe it was about a year ago, and talking to Lord Mayor Moore, and and thinking about you know her agenda and thinking about how it aligns in some instances, and in some instances it might be different. Um, from the Australian national agenda as it relates to climate change and thinking about you know how we actually bring those two pieces together um, in order to allow Sydney and our other cities um, who may have uh, 
maybe sort of um, trying to advance an agenda that might be not um, consistent with the rest of the population, uh, enabling them to do the great work that they need in order to build resilient cities. I think we've seen um, a, a change uh, in some of our cities who are very focused on climate change and thinking about um, solely thinking about climate change, for example, and then thinking about how you need to actually pivot that example um, and 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 not just thinking about climate change, but also thinking about uh, how it affects the most vulnerable people, um, for example, uh, because most of the vulnerable people uh, can be living in most of the sort of climate susceptible areas. So on on the riverfronts, on um, hillsides, and really thinking about the integration of climate change and some of these other pressing city priorities that need to be addressed um, and working together on those uh, because perhaps um, other other stakeholders might think, you know, housing is the big agenda um, and other people might think climate change is the big agenda and thinking about how do you actually marry those two together to develop the solutions um, that need to happen in order to build the city's resilience. And yeah, to talk about um, big agendas, we've had a, a question in um, about smart cities. Um, personally, I find the idea of a smart city to be a bit of an oxymoron. And you know, I, I've lived on a on a small island all my life, and you never hear anything about smart islands. Um, but uh, yeah, so the question is, um, do you think a city can be truly smart? And I suppose to phrase that, um, additionally phrase that, uh, you know, uh, how does the smart cities agenda sort of overlap with resilience? Is it is it uh, one that does solely, or is it one that's perhaps um, you know are there challenges that come with that sort of technological uh, advancement as well for for resilience? So resilience, so resilience building very much thinks about the smart cities agenda. Um, it's a critical piece of it. It's understanding, um, for example, the data that's required in order to both help the city make better decisions, but also to help run. Um, a more efficient city. So um, for many of our cities, aggregating that data, understanding what data needs to be captured um, and synthesizing it to make those decisions is a key uh, element of resilience building. I know, for example, one of our partners is working with the city of Samarang in Indonesia to integrate <clears throat> the, the 18 different applications it currently has outstanding and, and look at them on a uniform basis to understand what all, you know, what, what it basically means uh, for city government governance and, and also efficiency. I think there's also um, a broader piece around smart cities in general and helping use technology to um, enable cities to run more effectively and efficiently, uh, like we see, for example, um, in our city of uh, Barcelona. That's great. And I, I wonder if there's a, a, a somewhat co connection here with the with another question that's come in. Often you hear about smart cities and then people talk about you know the smart citizen. And there's a question... Um, about how are those citizens who are interested to work towards a greater resilience in their cities able to get involved? Is there a channel for civil engagement uh, with the 100 Resilient Cities Network, or uh, what? What would you what would you recommend to citizens? So all of our chief resilience officers are are there to work with the citizens, and it's a key piece of our program. Um, our program opens up in cities with something called an agenda setting workshop, where we work with a myriad cross-stakeholder cross um, engagement uh, opportunity, sorry, it's a, it's a cross-stakeholder engagement opportunity that we um, work on with the city to understand what the city's resilience challenges are. And for example, um, in our city of Boston, our chief resilience officer, Atia Martin, spent time, um, if you know Boston, on the on the T and on the buses to understand from citizens locally, what are those resilience challenges 
that we as Bostonians need to address. Um, and for example, in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, one of the things that we did was we actually uh, did a, a retain your rain workshop um, because the city uh, is very susceptible to stormwater and, and, and rain, uh, rainwater challenge, rainwater management challenges. And we worked with local citizens to get out there and design um, uh, big uh, buckets or cisterns um, that they could put in their community to help retain the rain and reduce some of the challenges that the stormwater system in Norfolk would otherwise have. So there are many opportunities um, in all of the resilience initiatives and also through our process for citizens to get involved. Someone's asked, there are several frameworks around this idea of building a mm -hmm. resilient city, and they mention um, C40 cities. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what makes your one stand out in your view, or maybe talk about some of the commonalities or differences between these initiatives. Are they all complementary, um, or it, it, you know, is the 100 Resilient Cities Network the one, the one to, to do it all, as it were? Well, of course, we like to all think that we're the only one, but I, I don't think that, that that's that's a very smart view of the world. I mean, we are very much working um, and actually are in and trying to uh, integrate all of the different various actors that are in working in the city space. Um, philanthropic dollars are limited. Um, people's capacity to act are limited. And you know we're only going to build these solutions through collaboration. So, for example, we do work. Um, with the C40 team uh, and, and try to understand, you know, what their priorities are, what our priorities are. Perhaps we approach them with a different lens, but we're all working together to help build um, more resilient and robust cities that will endure. Uh, and so that collaboration um, does actively occur uh, across the different city networks. Right. And before we finish here, I just wanted to ask um, a question. So you've reached um, 100 cities or you pretty much completed mm -hmm. your portfolio of 100 cities. Um, it's still a very new program, especially in timescales of transforming something like a city. Um, what's what's on the horizon? What's next for the 100 Resilient Cities Network? Is it, uh, you know, getting into the nitty gritty or what, what are the next stages for you? I mean, where our team is focused, where my team is focused, is really working uh, with our chief resilience officers in the cities to advance the initiatives that they've uh, designed and developed and put into their strategies and actually take it from paper into reality. You know, re resilience building, you're right, Seb, is generational. Um, and to think that, you know, we would build a resilient city um, in one year through one organization is likely unreasonable, um, even though I'd love to see it happen. I think our, our goal here is to start these cities um, along the resilience journey to help change the cities in order to um, think in a more resilient way as they design and develop solutions and have them think um, on a systems basis to understand how to integrate resilience into their everyday lives um, to design the cities of the future. Uh, and, and, and that to me is, is this is really the seeds um, and the shoots that we're just starting um, with them because it's going to take it's going to take more than in your and my lifetimes uh, to make it happen. You are listening to Elizabeth Yee of the 100 Resilient Cities program. She was in conversation with Seb Reed, who's an author at Circulate News. Circulate News is the source for the latest news and insight on the circular economy. Find out more about Circulate and our podcast series at circulatenews.org. Listen out for more Circulate podcasts. We're building up quite a catalogue, covering cities, energy issues, transportation, resources, economics, and, well, lots more. Next time on the Circulate podcast. 
The thing that we love about the circular economy is it, it's that nexus of doing good, feeling good about what we're doing, but also fully supporting the, the what we, you know, the driving the, the core objectives of the business and making money for the company. That was Jim Miller of Google, who talks to us about the circular economy, machine learning, self-driving cars, and much, much more. Thanks for listening, and don't miss the next episode of the Circulate podcast. This interview was originally recorded as part of the Disruptive Innovation Festival. You can find out more at thinkdiff.co.